Good morning, everyone. First of all, I want to take the opportunity to thank the band this morning for your choice of songs. Very exalting, very uplifting, very exalting of our Lord, and I thank you for that. Name above all names, worthy of all praise. Today is the second last in a series of summer sermons that had been being preached on Cross Church Goes to Israel. And uh, I believe that there are maybe some of you here this morning who have signed up, showing an interest in going to Israel. I've had an opportunity a, a couple of times in my life. I was talking to Gloria the other day, and I said, yes, I was, I was there twice a few years ago. And she said, hmm, a few years ago, and I started to think, and I don't want to tell you how many years ago that it was that I was there. I didn't even know I was that old. Uh, but uh, some of you may be surprised to hear that Armageddon is a place. I think many, many people just uh, associate it with an event. And uh, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, uh, it seems that that word has been used and used and used to describe what would be cataclysmic, catastrophic events that lead to the end of time. When I was there... It was, as you saw in the video this morning, it was very peaceful. I walked around the ruins of uh, particularly where I was. It was the uh, great King Solomon's, uh, the stables where he housed his royal horses, and I'm sure exercised them on the plains down below. And I walked over to the top of the hill and looked out over the plain. And I've always been a, a student of prophecy. I've always... Um, love to study the prophetic scriptures of the end times and as I looked out the significance of the place was just very real to me because I know that there's coming a day when the armies of this world will gather uh, against Jerusalem and it gave me shivers up and down my spine because as I stood there thinking about the significance of the place to uh, fighter jets, Israeli fighter jets, streamed across the sky in front of me, uh, just flashing down the, the length of the valley. And uh, I, I just, my mind was able to think of all sorts of things that are coming to pass someday in the future. Someday in the not-too-distant future, I think. Now, if any of you were here last year when I preached, I was preaching on the tribulation and I'm getting nervous that you're beginning to think that I'm a doomsday kind of person. <laughs> I want you to know that I get assigned these topics and I'm just being obedient here this morning. And so it's not that I look forward to rubbing my hands and say, going to get them again. Uh, but really, Armageddon is nothing for the Christian to fear. Armageddon, the world needs to fear it. There are many that need to fear it. But... As far as of the place of Armageddon, the events of Armageddon, this is, it's a day of victory, and we'll, we'll cover that this morning. So please take heart that, uh, that there's some, it's good, it's good. There have been movies made of Armageddon, about the, movies about the apocalypse, a word used to describe the events of Revelation. It's not a word in the Bible. Armageddon, actually, 
uh, is only mentioned once in the Bible. I think we've got it uh, to put up on the screen. It's mentioned in Revelation 16, or maybe not. Yes, here it is, Revelation 16, verse 16. And it says, And the demonic spirits gathered together all the rulers and their armies to a place which the Hebrew name Armageddon. Uh, it's at, around Megiddo. It's, the Hebrew is Har, for hill, Har, Megiddo. Uh, and so from that we get Armageddon, Har, Har Megiddo, Armageddon. Just a little trivia for you today in case anybody ever wants to ask you that. Um, there was a particular interest in things like the apocalypse around about the turn of this last century. People were quite spooked. Um, I don't know what they were thinking, but uh, it was certainly doom and gloom. Y2K was coming. There was lots of things being said about Y2K. Uh, I remember talking to a young friend I used to have in my girls' group and uh, many years ago and uh, not living for the Lord at the time, and she said that uh, he was really spooked by the change of the century. And uh, it was because they were using the word millennium, and in her days at camp and so on, she know, knew that what the millennium was, what was coming, and what came before it. And so she was spooked by that. This last week on the History Channel, I don't know if any of you saw that there was a whole week with, on the theme of um, the apocalypse. And I don't get the History Channel, and I phoned my friends, Hank and Ann, and said, I want to come over tonight and uh, watch your TV. So uh, Hank left us, and Ann and I, it was just, we just watched an hour. Of, I just wanted to get a, a flavor of what was going on. And uh, it was uh, featuring that night Nostradamus and his terrible predictions of things to come. And to me, what I saw was very much what is in the Bible. And so I have to believe he had read Revelation, and, and uh, this is what was being, so it was being featured all week. I don't know if you saw that, but there's a, just a renewed interest. People, scientists, all sorts of people, as they look at the way the earth is, um, they're, they're, they're thinking about the end. There are scientists who have said this world can't go on in the same way as it is now. It's not possible. Um, we, we talk about Armageddon, and we use it as describing the end of the world, but there are things that come before that that you need to know about. Well, as I said, Armageddon is a place. Many people just think it's an event, and it is. Um, but you need to know that scholars have told us that wars have been fought here more than at any place in history, going back to my favorite person, Gideon, and his battle with his 300 men plus God, uh, just routing the Midianites completely out of Israel. And also King Saul was slain on battle there, and so many other great wars like um, the Crusades were fought there, Napoleon's armies fought there, and just so many in history. And this event that is to take place here is going to be a battle to end all battles, though it's going to involve all the battles of the earth. And, um, but there's a, some prophecies that we can look at in 
the books of Isaiah and, and Ezekiel and Daniel, particularly the book of Daniel. It's, uh, it's got prophecies to do with the end of time, prophecies to do with the Jewish nation. And the interesting thing is that what is in Daniel's prophecies that God gave to him talks about the empires of the world that were to come. And up until the time that Messiah would come. And you need to know that history books will teach you that uh, the empires that came were exactly as the Bible said they would, as Daniel prophesied that they would. And uh, prophecies of Jesus' first coming, about 300 of them in the scripture, all born out in history, he was born in, in Bethlehem, grew up as a Nazarite boy, his lineage, his crucifixion, and all of these things, there's about 300 of them. There's way more on the second coming of Jesus in, in the prophetic scriptures. And the thing is this, if we know that history bears out that these things that were uh, prophesied have come true, we have no reason to doubt that what is prophesied for the time to come is going to come true also. Daniel's prophecies were for the Jewish nation, mostly. Uh, the Bible says, John 1.12, that he came unto his own, that's Jesus came to the Jewish people. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. They did not believe in him, did not accept him as their Messiah. But to as many as believed him, to as many as received him, to them he gives the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe on his name. And right now, uh, you and I are living in a period between the time uh, of the cross and the time of the, that the second coming will happen. And it's called an age of grace or the church age. And uh, as far as the prophecies to the Jews are concerned, uh, as one preacher put it, God has called a time out in the history of the nation of the Jews and his promise, promises for them. And now you and I, as Gentile people, have been able to uh, come into the knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. And uh, because of that, because of that, we call it an age of grace. Grace is unmerited favor, not something we deserve. When Jesus died on the cross because he loves you, because God loves you and sent his son to come into the world, that through him this world might be saved. And I like John 3.17, it says, For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. And we need to know that this morning, that the door is open, the door is still open for us to, to tell our friends, to tell our neighbors about Jesus. In the fall, we'll have more Alpha sessions. Uh, invite somebody to Alpha this year. Make sure that they hear the story about Jesus and his dying on the cross for them, and what a difference that can make in their lives. Within the prophecies that God gave to Daniel, we're shown a period of seven years yet to come. And you understand that although my topic this morning is Armageddon, it's not possible for me to preach a sermon on, well, I guess it would be, but without giving some background to what is going to lead up to it. And that's a huge, huge topic. I took a whole summer one time to preach on the end times. 
uh, every Wednesday for eight weeks. And uh, it's a huge subject. So bear with me as I try to condense down and get to you the things that I believe in God has given me to, to tell you that are important for you this morning. The period of seven years is referred to as the tribulation time, and it's when the clock starts up again and God's prophetic word to the Jews will come to pass. And I hope, you know, you see that this world is not getting any better. As a matter of fact, it's getting worse and worse. During the tribulation time, God is going to pour out his wrath. We hear a lot about the love of God. But in the tribulation time, during that seven years, God is going to pour out his wrath on the wickedness of this earth. And if you don't think that things are getting worse and worse, if you don't think that there's wickedness, great wickedness in this world, then it makes me fear that because we see so much on TV, that we see so much as we turn on our computer screens and we see so much as far as movies are concerned, that, that we begin to get anesthetized, dulled to what's going on around about us. This world is not a nice place, and it's not getting any better, and it's not going to get any better. Satan knows his time is short, and he is going about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And think about some of the things that we see happening around about us, about the massacres that you've heard of children and young people in schools, like the lady who got a letter from her boyfriend telling her that he loved her, but he couldn't stay in a relationship with her because he didn't want her children, and so she killed them. The statistics that the amazing statistics that show every year how many children kill their parents. It's, a, it's just disastrous. You want to talk about without natural affection? There's nothing more natural than a mother where children are concerned. Animals could teach us more about that. God brought judgment in the Old Testament times on Israel for following the practices of some of the ancient gods. They sacrificed their babies to the gods, and the Israelites followed along. And we gasp and say, how terrible is that? Except I don't know if you've noticed, but today there's a lot of sacrificing of babies to the gods of convenience and the gods of selection. It's hard to believe the staggering statistics of abortion, that abortions are performed for any and all reasons, but when you hear that they're performed because somebody has sex and they, they didn't use protection and they get caught and, and so they just abort the baby, or because um, someone has a has a uh, conceived and has has checked out. They want a baby, but they look to find out whether it's a boy or a girl. And if it's a boy and they wanted a girl, then they simply abort and try again. Uh, it's it's staggering, staggering. 
I, I said the gods of convenience and selection, but really it's all about self. It's all about self, self-absorption. At the end of the book of Judges, we see uh, a statement made about Israel that it could be written today. They did what was right in their own eyes. They did what they wanted to do. No absolutes today. It's all relative. Whatever is right truth for you is what you should do. Uh, wrong is right. Right is wrong. Victims do not get the understanding that perpetrators do. Our basic freedoms that are entrenched in the Constitution of free speech and freedom of religion are being challenged and it seems that they apply to everybody but Christians and Jews these days. Two men were recently sent to jail for standing on a public sidewalk and addressing some people by talking about Jesus. Really? Freedom of speech? Freedom of religion? The Bible says in Matthew 24, 38, that as in the days of Noah, and we all know about the story of Noah, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. There was great wickedness on the earth at that time, and God judged and sent a flood to destroy them all. And I used to wonder, because it says in there at that time they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and I thought, that doesn't sound so bad, and of course, what it's referring to is the fact that uh, Noah was going around at God's instruction and preaching about turning from their sins, and people just went on their everyday lives. They're eating, they're drinking, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage. But I have to tell you, I think it takes on a whole new meaning in these days. Divorce is rampant. The family is broken down. Somebody said on TV, a woman was interviewed the other day who said, uh, that she wanted to see marriage abolished completely. That was the goal of the group that she was with, to see marriage abolished. And we might gasp and say, that's never going to happen. Really? Really? The, uh, God created the family. It was his idea. He ordained marriage. He ordained marriage between a man and a woman. He ordained marriage for pleasure and for reproduction. And all of these things that God has ordained and has put together as something that is the very fabric of our society that would, is what's good and right is now being done away with. Don't dare speak against it. Don't dare speak against it. And it isn't just the West. If any of you have been watching your news coverage, you'll find out that this past week, uh, a young Christian Egyptian girl was targeted and shot on her way out of a Bible study that she was attending with her friends. It's just unbelievable. One day soon, God is going to say enough is enough, and he's going to pour out judgment like nobody has ever seen before in an unbelieving world. Read the book of Revelation. Read Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 17, and look for descriptions of some of the events of the end. Now, during the last seven years of time, we know that there will be the rise of the, what's called the Antichrist, a, a man, a more aptly described in most cases as the beast. 
He's a man of charisma, uh, wins people over very easily, but so crafty and cruel and deceitful, it's understandable that he receives power from Satan himself. And under his domination, all sorts of things will change. He will make an alliance with ten other nations in the area of the former Roman Empire, countries of Europe. Anybody let the word European Union come to your mind? Maybe not exactly as we see it right now, but it's happening. He will seek world domination through peace at first. Everybody will think that he's just marvelous, and, and everybody will follow after him. He will be able to do what no one else has been able to do. Kings, prime ministers, presidents, 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 all have tried unsuccessfully to bring any lasting peace to the Middle East. Uh, Israel is always right in the center of everything that's going on in the Middle East. The Arab countries, the Muslim countries, have one desire. We might think that it's peace that they want, but they're not looking for peace. What they want is they want to rid Israel from off the face of the earth. They have such a hatred. Uh, the Middle East is just a, a cauldron boiling with hate. And it's and we see it all over. Turn on your TV for that. Your news will tell you. Syria, uh, Egypt right now with hundreds and hundreds of people. And that's just, I haven't seen it for the last two days, but hundreds and hundreds of people being killed. And there's just, it's, it's just a, a, a boiling pot of hatred. But there's been people that, the Ayatollah Khomeini, who's the, the wickedest, cleric in, in the Middle East, behind everything that happens in Iran, uh, he has admitted that if you're a true uh, Muslim, you will want to see Israel annihilated, obliterated from the earth. And so watch your TVs, people, see what's going on. Even as we speak in Israel, there are things happening with Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the president of, prime minister of Israel, He's feeling that he may have to make a preemptive strike against Iran because intelligence tells them that there's nuclear weapons being massed, amassed there. And he knows that if he leaves it too long, if he waits while America and other countries tell him that he should hold off and have embargoes against Iran, but don't, don't make any preemptive strikes against them because that would bring a war about. But Benjamin Netanyahu knows that if... if if Iran is allowed to proceed with their program and goes too far with it, it'll be too late. And all of their missiles and so on will be aimed at, at Israel. And so pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We're told in the Bible to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Would you put that on your agendas? Pray that peace will come there. But in any event, in the end, it's not going to happen. The beast makes this alliance with the ten other nations. And Israel, he's going to make a pact with Israel, treaty with Israel, and he's going to be able to live, uh, Israel will be able to live in her land. 
uh, live in safety, so much so that her guards will be down. Uh, she's able to carry out her ancient religions and her ancient practices. And he will also be the kind of person who's an economic genius, and he'll be able to solve the terrible world problems there is right now financially with countries. And everybody will just look at him as though he's a savior. But just three and a half years into that seven years, after he's made the treaty, three and a half years before, he'll break that treaty. And he'll set himself up in the temple himself to be worshipped. And this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone because he's backed by Satan himself. And what was Satan's goal when he was in heaven? Was to his pride got the better of him. And he um, was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be worshipped like God. And so this is what's going to happen. And this will be a terrible, terrible time for the Jewish people. Um, and they'll flee to the mountains to, to get away. And at that time, all, all of God's judgment is going to pour out. I was going to say all hell breaks loose, but really all heaven is going to break loose. And God will pour out his judgment on this earth. The Armageddon, as the seven years proceed, and the great judgments of God is found in Revelation. And people, sometimes people don't read the Revel book of Revelation because they say, well, there's too many things they don't understand in it. Read it anyway. There's things you will understand. I mean, take into consideration the fact that John, who the Revelation was given to, had uh, not the words to even describe the things that he saw. How do you think John on the Isle of Patmos in the early days, how do you think that he could describe a Black Hawk helicopter or a, or a jet streaming through the sky? How would he be able to, to describe when he sees uh, seemingly men clothed in camouflage outfits and with antennas coming up out of them and goggles on? How would he describe that? He couldn't. And so there's symbolism in the Bible, but read it anyway. Read it anyway because you'll get the idea of the kinds of things that are going to happen. It's thought by some Bible scholars that Armageddon isn't just one battle, it's many battles. And starting at the three and a half year period and going to the end of, this, of the seven years and think that it's brought on by what the Bible talks about, an invasion by the kings of the north. And that's believed to be Russia, Iran, Iraq, Turkey, and some other places also. Um, and this attack will come on Russia, I mean, come on Israel just for the sake of spoil, just for the sake that they could take what they could. And they want to get hold, and they'd love to get hold even today, of the warm waters of the Mediterranean open all year round for shipping and so on. And so they'd love to get hold of that, and so they, they march on Israel. And Israel, of course, would not have, have what it takes to turn them all back. And it's a sudden movement. And God does what God always does in the case of Israel. He intervenes. 
and there's a convulsion of nature of some type, whether it's an earthquake or whether it's an asteroid or whatever it is, so we can use our imaginations. The Bible doesn't tell us other than it's a disaster of nature. And God sends that, and God um, saves, the, saves Israel. And there's so much of the enemy that is annihilated that it takes Israel seven months to clean up the bodies, the dead bodies that are left so that they don't desecrate the land. The Antichrist will then make his way to Israel and he's going to break that treaty that he made with them. Of course he is. He's a deceiver and a liar. And he'll set up his headquarters at Jerusalem and he'll set himself up in the temple that's so important, so beloved for the Jews and he'll set him up, himself up there to be worshipped. Turns on the Jews, persecutes them, and they flee to the mountains for safety. Then others turn against him for fear he'll take over their countries. And eventually, armies of the East, China, most likely, North Korea, some of the Asiatic countries, 200 million strong, the Bible says. When I was growing up, you couldn't imagine an army of that size. But they'll move on on the beast because they don't want they don't like the fact that he's trying to take over the whole world. And they were deceived by him, but now everybody's beginning to see his true colors. And so they march against Israel, the remnant of Russia and her allies. All armies from all corners of the earth will march on Israel on the to make war with the beast and the beast with with his armies will gather together to defend against them. And at that point, John sees a wonderful, wonderful vision. And I have to read it as it is in Revelation 19 and 20 because I wouldn't have the words to be able to say, if that's for me, I'm busy. Um, won't be able to have the words to say that... Is, is just, you have to get the visual of it as I, as I read this. John says this. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Yes, he is. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And I'll explain that in a minute, people, but that's you and I if we're putting our trust in Jesus. That's you and I. We're going to come with Jesus when he comes back again. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword which is to strike down the nations. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Excuse me. Excuse me. He's not coming back as gentle Jesus, meek and mild, as he did the first time. He's coming back as victor. 
Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, his cohort. And the two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the bottomless pit and locked and sealed it over him. Armageddon is nothing to be feared for those of us trusting in Christ. Armageddon is all about the honor of God and the utter humiliation and defeat of Satan for who he is. It's a place where, as Mark aptly said this morning, a place where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He has made provision for us. My friend, if you have not asked Christ to forgive you of your sins and to have his spirit come into your heart and and cleanse you, you need to do that now. You need to make him Lord of your life. Or if there's a time you surrendered to him, but since then have wandered away from him, won't you turn back to him now, today? He's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're trusting in Jesus as your personal Savior, but you think you can just coast to eternity now, let me challenge you right now to surrender your life to him. Let your talents and your time and your treasure The gifts that he's given you, give them all to him to use for his purposes. When you stand before him, you want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the motivation for that is that what you're doing is doing for his honor and his glory. So many times we are busy, we get very busy. But busyness is just busyness, and especially if we're doing it to get the acclaim of those around us, to have pats on the back, to be told that we're great, we're doing a great job, and so on. And people will do that, and that's nice. We should, we should show appreciation. But if that's why we're doing things, I want you to know that it counts for nothing. My time is also almost up, but that's too bad because I'm going to take a few more minutes, and you don't want to go out and get soaked anyway. Because I need to let you know Sounds like a lot of what I said was kind of bad news. And there's a lot of that around. But I want you to know this morning, listen up, that 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that you are not, we are not appointed to wrath if we're putting our trust in Jesus. We are not subject to his judgment. Um, When we think of the days of Noah or the days of Lot, which the Bible tells us he likens to the end times. I want you to know that though God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, poured out his wrath on the people in in Noah's time, I want you to know that those that were putting their trust and faith in God were spared. And there's coming a day, the Bible talks, doesn't use the word rapture. It's a Latin word, rapture, which means to be caught up suddenly. And there's coming a day, like a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye, when the Bible tells us, 
And this is before that seven years begins, and there are some that are disagree with that. And some, some, excuse me, some say it will happen halfway through the seven-year period. I believe it happens at the beginning. There used to be people who said it would happen at the end, but they've given up on that for the most part because it just doesn't make sense. If it's halfway through, so it's halfway through. But I believe it's at the beginning of the seven-year period that 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 tells us that Jesus is going to descend from heaven in the clouds with a command, with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ, and it's very important to understand that, those who have died believing and putting their trust in Christ, the dead in Christ will rise first. There's going to be a resurrection, people. And those of us that are alive and remain and putting our trust in Jesus, we're going to join them. We're going to be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Count on it. Count on it. And we're not appointed to wrath. We're to encourage one another with these words. And uh, if you want to take exception and debate with me, I'm okay with that. Just not today after this service. Next week, maybe. Um, But I, I just want to encourage your hearts this morning that if you're putting your trust in Jesus, it's not a partial salvation. His salvation is sufficient for you. And you say, well, I mean, there was a lady who told me one time, a Christian lady, when I first came to the church, um, Pastor Allen told me that he would like me to teach a lady's Bible study. And I was really offended. I'd always worked with young people, and I thought he was trying to put me out to pasture. I don't know if I ever told him that. I'll have to tell him that. And I said, no, there was no way I wanted to lead a ladies' Bible study. Some of you WM ladies might get a kick out of that one. And, uh, and then I was talking one day to this lady, and she told me that, that she was really afraid of appearing before the Lord. And I said, why? I knew she was a Christian. I knew she loved Jesus. She said, well, she, she was afraid of being judged. And I said, why would you be judged? You're, you're, why would you think that? You've asked Jesus into your heart, asked him to come and take away your sins. And she said, I know, but from the time I was saved, I was saved quite a while ago, and from the time I was saved, I'm afraid of those sins since that time. If, if I haven't confessed them at all, that if they're not pleasing to God, the things I've done, that he's just going to open a trap door and I'm going to fall down to hell. And she was serious. Like, I was just amazed that she thought that. And I went to Pastor Al and I said, I need to teach a ladies' Bible study. (laughs) And I think I've been doing it ever since. Great joy, great joy for me. And that's not the case, people. Yes, the Bible talks, and you might see it, that there's, when we get up to heaven, there's two events before Armageddon. During the time there's a judgment on the earth, there's two events going on in heaven. The first one is called the judgment seat of Christ. But you need to know that it's a time when God... I've been in Israel in Corinth where you see the Bema, judgment seat. The Bible tells us that that our, our lives for Christ are like running a race and we're to run it well and that there's prize at the end of the calling of Christ. And what you need to know is that the judgment seat of Christ is there for the purpose of giving out rewards to those who have been faithful 
to pastors who are out in Burundi teaching other pastors how to, how to uh, teach their people and to lead their people. It's for people who have, uh, need to hear in Costa Rica, for people who, who have gone there and, and have done it. The motivation is always, did you do it for your own glory or did you do it for God? Did you do it for a nice trip somewhere or did you do it for the Lord? And that's where the motivation comes in. And you need to know that, that what you do is very important. And the judgment seat of Christ is there to give out rewards to those that have been faithful. And it is about loss of rewards for those who have done things and have done them for their own. If they've got their honor for it down here, they're not going to get their honor for it in heaven. It's just that easy. And so you need to know this, that, that God has a program and, and your, your sins were judged at the cross. That's the only judgment you need to worry about. When you put your trust in Jesus, you know that he took those sins on the cross and they were removed as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again, past, present, future. And if you think that's good news, I can go do what I want, then I question your conversion. Because when we really put our trust in Jesus, when we really know him, we want to serve him. We want to be able to to do things for him. My greatest fear in life is that someday when I get to heaven, that if I'm given, uh, if people are going to be given crowns for different things, different rewards that they have, they'll be given crowns for. And people, I want you to know that there will be opportunity to cast your crowns to, at Jesus' feet when you, when you see him and you realize that the only reason you're there is because of him, not because of all the things you did to get these crowns. And it says, he, there was a songwriter that said, eternity's greatest privilege will be casting our crowns at his feet. And I've got to tell you, I don't want to go before him and not have anything to give. I want to make sure that I'm not just busy, but that what I do is what's glorifying to Christ and not glorifying to Marilyn Wedlake. And so I want to encourage you today that we're not appointed unto wrath, but to receive salvation. I want you to know that there's a judgment seat of Christ that we will stand before. We're coming into September with lots of ministries in the church that will need help for different things. Kids Club could use a backup bus driver part-time to help with the driving. You're going to think I'm putting in commercials for my sake, and I probably am, but it's all true. And there's nursery and we college and boot camp and kids club that all will need help coming into the new year, the new church year. There are people on your street that may need your help. Maybe a single mom, maybe senior might need some of your help. Look around you, but make sure that whatever you do, you say, God, I'm doing this as unto you. I don't really feel like it. You want to get up on a Sunday morning, I really don't feel like going out and going in the nursery and, and looking after babies. Do it as unto the Lord. When you do it like that, it'll be far easier to get up. Far easier to get up. The second thing that happens, and I know I'm over time, but the second thing that happens is the marriage of the Lamb. We are called, the church, the people who have trusted in Christ, his church, are called the bride of Christ. And someday we're going to be reunited with our bridegroom. 
And men, if you have a little bit of a problem with thinking about you being part of the bride, get over it. It's how it is. Get over it. You're going to want to be part of the bride in that day. And so I encourage you this morning. There's great things coming. And after the marriage supper of the Lamb and coming into you're at the end of the seven-year period. And that's why when we read that and it says Jesus is coming with the armies of heaven, that's you and me. My boot camp kids sometimes get excited about that because they're going to be in a war where they can't be killed. They're going to have glorified bodies like his glorified body. And, uh, and they like that idea. But we won't even have to strike any kind of a, use a weapon or anything else because Jesus himself who is the word, by the very word of his mouth, will obliterate the armies in front of him. And they will know, they will know who he is and will mourn. So people today, I encourage you, I encourage you. This is a great day of rejoicing when you understand this, if you belong to Jesus. I I just, if you have not put your trust in him, would you do that this morning? If you have not put your trust, if you have not trusted him for forgiveness, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's none righteous, not one. We've all gone astray. And so all you need to do is come to him this morning, believing that he's the son of God, and ask him to take away your sins have a spirit come and live in you to help you live the life that's pleasing to him and he will do that he will do that this morning and if there's been a time in your life where you did that at your mother's knee or in a Sunday school class or a camp a chapel somewhere a youth service and you've been wandered away from him won't you talk to him this morning won't you recommit your life to him the time is short my friends I don't just say that it's short The time is short. The signs are all around us. And I encourage you this morning, I encourage you to turn your life over to him. Make things right. Make this relationship between you and him right this morning. And go from this place rejoicing. The rest of you, make a recommitment to the Lord to to just work for him and to give him the glory for everything that he's, he's done for you. Give it back to him this morning and in the time to come. And hear that well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I want you to stand with me, please. I'm going to come down to the front here. Mark's going to help me down. Thank you. I want us to sing in closing. Would you sing with me a song that everybody knows, I'm sure? Will you sing about the amazing grace of God? Would you sing it and, and rejoice as you sing it, as you realize just what it is that he's done for us? And then, if there's anybody at all here, anybody here who, who doesn't want to waste any time, you want to make things right with the Lord, somebody would be glad to pray for you if you want to come up after the service or before we're finished, whatever. If you want prayer, because you believe that you've got to make things right, you don't have to come up here to do that. You can do that at any time, any time. But do it soon, won't you? But let's rejoice this morning. Let's sing it together. Let's hear voices. Ah.